0: Good morning and welcome to Hillhead Baptist Church. Our worship this morning will be led by Lena. Um, we especially welcome Trevor Jameson, who is an old friend of some of us here and a new friend to some others. Um, come all the way from Shetland, so you're very welcome. A quick reminder for our Christmas Age Chris, our Christian Age Christmas appeal. If you would like to make a donation to Christian Aid and have your Christmas greetings printed out in the key, you can make a donation using the link that appeared in the November key. The deadline for having your greetings appear in the key and for any other items um, is Wednesday the 22nd. I've also made a note of that because I have some things to send. Um, There's no midweek conversation group this week um, on Tuesday as we will instead have a chance to gather face-to-face at Brian's home, 6 Lancaster Crescent, at 7pm on Friday. If you are interested in going, please see Brian um, for all the details, because he'll be able to account for numbers and let you know what what you can bring or what's being provided. The Coffee Club Club meet as usual at 10.30 till 12 on Wednesday at Esquire House in Annie's Land. Um, We have had a couple of birthdays this week. I'm going off script here. But both Killian and Esther had a birthday on Wednesday. So I thought it might be nice if we sang Happy Birthday to them. I'm sure that we have a lot to hear from Esther in Sunday school about her birthday. She's been very excited about it. If we can sing one, two, three. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. forward to hearing all about it. Next week we will meet here in the hotel where Laura will be leading our worship. These are all our notices.
1: Well we start our worship service with a reminder of what has brought us here. Jesus calls us here to meet him. Let us sing together. This
2: hymn.
3: See you.
1: So we are here, with our prayers of thanks and with our questions, with our memories of wonders past and perhaps our doubts, with our experiences of God's bounty, and with our fears of times when blessings perhaps might run dry, time and again, week after week. We are invited to come, to keep coming, because Jesus keeps calling us. And as we come today, we are invited to open up our hearts to gratitude for God's generosity and goodness. In the name of Christ, the one who taught us all to pray in a simple way which we will do together in the language that comes easiest to us, saying Our Father, kuresasi dago je. Chiesi iš 원atos tavo vatlas, diri I have a question. Can you remember the last time when you ran out of something or or realized that you didn't have enough of something? Maybe you ran out of time or particular food or... Anybody have a memory recently? Energy. Energy. Oh. I think there's a whole choir here, Grace. Yeah. And so what happened? Does it mean you weren't able to do some things that you wanted to? Yeah. Right. What else have you run out of? Or felt you didn't have enough? The what? Car battery, oh, we shall not mention who recently has had that experience. Yeah, yeah, that was tricky. The car just wouldn't move, right, yeah. I had a fear a couple of days ago we 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 had guests for dinner, which involved cooking potatoes, and as a Lithuanian who cannot imagine life or meals without potatoes, I had a very strong suspicion that i'm that we might run out of potatoes, and you know what? it would have happened except that the couple of guests could no longer come because of some health issues. So that gave me some heart palpitations, you know well. We humans often worry that we we may not have enough of whatever it is, right? It's one thing for it to actually happen, it's another thing to worry based on experience that again we will run out of energy, of car battery power, of potatoes, whatever it is. Not enough time, not enough money, not enough of whatever. Things get especially interesting around feeling there's not enough money and paradoxically The more rich people get, the more worried they tend to be about not having enough, about running out of their money, which is worth remembering. And then people often compare their situation to what others have and behave in a way as if any improvement for someone else means less improvement for them. Have you noticed that? You know, if, if there are five loaves of bread, and my neighbor gets one, now there are only four left and I could put, that I could potentially lay my hands on. And if several of my neighbors get their loaves, then I may start getting really worried that there might be none left for me. It's quite a miserable way to live, isn't it? But we can observe it all around us. People striving to get as much of whatever that they're afraid of losing as much of it as possible. Greed and scarcity mindset often go hand in hand. But Jesus is clearly teaching the opposite. Life is not a zero sum game. Others flourishing or being blessed with something does not mean that I or we as a community become more impoverished. Quite the opposite. We are reminded of it in the story of Jesus taking a few loaves and fish from a wee boy. A story you probably remember, right? The boy gives the little that he has. Those loaves. Those two fish. And not only is his belly satisfied to the full, but also so is the whole crowd of several thousand people. Generosity goes hand-in-hand hand with the realization that God's kingdom is an abundant place, one in which we don't have to compete for resources, one in which everyone can have enough. We could talk about learning what enough is for us, but that will be for another time, I suspect now let's just be reminded what a freeing way to live it is being witnesses to God's kingdom to open our hands rather than keeping them firmly closed, clutching onto whatever we've managed to get so far to be generous trusting that we will be blessed and transformed by that same generosity when we share with others trusting God's abundant goodness of which there is enough for everybody. And that is what the next song, song that we're going to sing is all about. It reminds us of how much we have been given. How much of everything is around. Loaves abound as we're going to sing. So um, after this our younger people will go to their activities but I hope you can stay for the whole time for the whole song and The percussionists are ready, yes, be enthusiastic as much as you feel um, able. If it's new for you, feel free to listen and then join in, but it will be almost impossible not to join in, I suspect.
3: Talents and tongues employ, reaching out with a shout of joy.
4: Our Bible reading this morning is from Matthew 25, uh, very commonly called the parable of the talents. In our English version today, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. The Swahili for bags of gold is talanta. Uh, Other words you might want to listen for are moja, mbili, tano, tano, Kumi, and then of course Bwana is Mr. or Master, and Mtumwa, his servant. So, the parable of the Talanta. Mana ni Mfano wa mtua atakae kusafiri, aliwaita wa
5: wake, akaweka kwao malizake. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. Aka moja talanta
4: tano, na moja talanta mbili, na moja talanta moja. Kila umtu kwa kadiri
5: wake akasafiri. To one he gave 5 bags of gold. To another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. Mara Yule Alipukea Talanta Tano
4: Akaenda Akafanya Biashara Nazo Akachuma
5: Faida Talante Ningine Tano. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. Vila vile,
4: na yule Mbili bili, ye akachuma
5: ningine bili faida. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Lakine yule alip. Pokea
4: moja, alikwenda akafukua chini,
5: akaificha feda ya wake. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Bada
4: ya siku nyingi, akaja buana wa watum wa wale,
5: akafanya hesabu nao. now. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Akaja yule ali pokea talanta
4: tano, akaleta talanta ningine tano, akisema buana uleweka kwangu talanta tano, tazama talanta ningine tano
5: nilizopata faida. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. Buanawake akamwambia, Vema, mtumwa
4: muema na mwanaminifu, ulikua mwanaminifu kwa machache,
5: ni kuweka juu ya mengi, ingia katika furaha ya buwana wako. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Akaja na yule ali epokea talanta mbili, akasema
4: buana, uliweka kwangu talanta mbili, tazama talanta ningine mbili nilizopata
5: faida. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. Buanawake akamwambia?
4: Vema. Umtuma muema na muane minifu. Ulikua muane minifu kwamachache. Nitakueka ju ya mengi.
5: Ingia katika furaha ya wako. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Akaja na yule ali talanta
4: moja. Akasema. Buana. Nalitambua yakua ni umtu umgumu.
5: Wavuna usipopande wakusanya usito pawanya. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I know that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. Basi, nikaogopa,
4: nikaenda nikaifichi talanta yako katika ardi.
5: Tazama, unayo iliyo yako. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. Buana wake
4: akajibu akamwambia wewe mtumwa mbaya na mlegevu, ulijua yoku na vuma
5: nisipopanda na kusanya nisipotawanya his master replied, You wicked, lazy servants, so you know that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Basi! ili kupasa kuiweka fedha yangu kwa
4: watoao riba, nami nikija ningalipata
5: ilio yangu na faida yake. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that I, when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Basi. Myangeni
4: talantahiyo mpeni yule aliye
5: nazo talanta kumi. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. Kwamana. Kila mwenye kitu atapewa
4: na tele lakine asiye na kitu hata kile nacho
5: For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them Na mtumwa yule asiye fa mtupeni
4: mbali Katika Gizala nje, kutakuako
5: Kilio nakusaga meno, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. <laughs>
1: must start with a confession. Usually when I'm preparing to uh, preach and where I have a freedom to select my own passage, I do start with checking the lectionary, uh, an agreed sort of calendar uh, that many churches from different denominations across the whole world would be following that day. I usually do that unless I have a very good reason not to. So that's what I did. And the gospel passage was the one that Will and George has just read for us. And I groaned internally. And I seriously, seriously considered preaching on something else. But then I also know that whenever I groan internally, it won't be easy, but that means there will be some real wrestling with a passage. Not just for me, but for all of us together. And out of that... Coming, coming with perhaps more questions and more discomfort than anything else, some good things can come out. I know that already from my own Christian experience. So with quite some groaning and quite a bit of trepidation, I proceeded to think and reflect on this text and keep reading it and seeing what others have made of it uh, across the centuries. And then I remembered a comment that my auntie Ruta has made once about it. Some of you know uh, that just this past summer I lost my auntie, who I was very close to. So I ended up thinking about her quite often. And I did remember her observation that when she was a young girl, she was totally baffled by this passage. How unfair it seemed to take away from the one who has the least and to give it to someone who already has plenty. How contrary in her eyes it seemed to the kingdom of God, the contours of which Jesus was depicting elsewhere in the Gospels. And I felt very much like her. Maybe you feel like that too. So what is going on in this passage? Well, First of all, it's always good to look around, that is to observe where this passage is set. It appears in another gospel as well, but here in the lectionary we are in the gospel of Matthew. And in these chapters of Matthew, towards the end of his gospel, Matthew the evangelist is drawing pictures of the end of times and the urgent need to be ready. Just before this passage, we have the parable of the foolish and wise virgins. Something for another time, perhaps, for us to think about. Um, it's all about being ready for the upcoming judgment that is awaiting us all when the Son of God, Son of Man, rather, comes back in His glory. We can practically smell the sulfur. Sir, can I pronounce that word? Sulfur in the air. So intense is Matthew's message. Be ready, or you will be caught unawares. The parable says the three servants, actually slaves, were given the money each according to their abilities. And indeed, the master doesn't seem to be that bothered about the final sum gained for him by each of the servant, whether it was five extra talents or two. But he does get very upset at the servant who simply didn't put the money to any use whatsoever, and instead hid it away for the time that his master was not present. And what is awaiting this third servant, this third slave, is outer darkness, where we're told there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's the way many Christians have been reading this text across the centuries. Perhaps this is the reading you grew up with. I certainly had, as did my auntie Ruta. And on one level, it is a very plausible reading, as confirmed by a number of biblical scholars who subscribed subscribed to it in, in their interpretation of the passage. On the basis of this traditional reading, we could highlight the importance of being faithful in little things, of doing the best with what we've given and using it for the kingdom of God. Not being afraid to take risks for God's sake. Exercising good stewardship of what God has entrusted us with. We could reflect on how faithfulness in whatever we have been entrusted with leads to more blessing, and unfaithfulness results in losing even our initial blessings. The master will return, and in the meantime, we need to be found faithful, working, being productive, active. So stay alert, follow the master's orders, and make sure you use what you've been given, because you will have to give account of it on the last day. Quite a frightening message, one that is capable of inducing a mild nightmare, or perhaps a serious nightmare. But then there are plenty rather frightening things in our scripture which just have to be faced head on. So as a church, we've used this message time and again as we've read this passage. Moreover, many readers of scripture automatically assume that any parable with a king or a landowner or a man on a journey leaving slaves behind is automatically a parable about Jesus or God. And that such stories tell us what to do and how to behave until the second coming, whilst the master is away. But... There's just so much there in this passage that jars with the message of the good news as we know it in Jesus. And there are certain things that just don't make sense given what we know about the world of the time, a world to which Jesus first addressed the story. So let's have a closer look. First of all, let's look at how Jesus introduces his story. You know, he often told parables of the kingdom, starting with, the kingdom of God is like a woman who lost a coin. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. This one doesn't start like that. Rather, Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey, whatever it is. So let's look a bit closer at this man. What is it that he gives to his servants, slaves? Talents, we're told. An interesting word which does not refer to our skills or abilities, but rather signifies an amount or a value of money, quite a bit of money, as we will see in a moment. That said, it's not by chance that we in English and in Swahili and many other languages use the word talent to refer to, well, talents anything from public speaking playing an instrument to being good at math or being able to act well whatever it is and the reason why in so many languages we use the word talent to refer to our skills and abilities is precisely this story this parable and the way it's been commonly read don't bury your talent It's for this reason that we immediately connect the money that these servants were given with successful use of our abilities for the kingdom's sake. So what kind of money is this talent? It is not something you can hand on the palm of your hand, that's for sure. The reading we heard from George in English translates translates it as bags of money, bags of gold. And that is a bit more accurate, because the amount of money represented by a talent was so large that we struggle to describe it in modern equivalent. Something between 15 to 20 years of annual wages. One million pound, perhaps. I mean, you know, big sum of money. That's one talent. Now imagine two, imagine five. It's not the sums that we can easily compute, most of us anyway. And now imagine the people who would be listening to the story of Jesus. Their worldview, their economic situation. Although Jesus met a few rich and influential people, we know that the majority of those who followed him were very far from being rich or influential. And here he paints to them a picture of an ostentatious, opulent household and a powerful patriarch who's going away in his business, economical or political, probably both. To transpose it into our culture, we could imagine perhaps a very rich oligarch, or a hedge fund manager, or the head of a huge corporation. And whilst this man is away. His business at home is carried on by his chosen underlings. In the Roman society of Jesus' time, that would have been fairly usual. Certain slaves could rise to prominent positions in the household hierarchy as stewards of their masters' affairs. Not a bad prospect, I suspect, for the one who ended up with ten talents. but neither the rich man nor these stewards would have been thought of fondly by the crowd listening to Jesus or by his disciples or pretty much anyone but the powerful and the rich. How did this man accumulate such inordinate amounts of wealth? And they would have thought, surely not by honorable means. This was definitely somebody greedy, somebody who was prepared to rob his own people through lucrative trading, tax collecting, or lending money, especially lending money at interest. And here they were, these stewards, doing the dirty work of this stonking rich man, making him even richer, all at the expense of the others. Reaping where he hasn't sowed, and gathering where he's scattered no seed. A hard harsh man, as the third servant would describe him. Yes, that's exactly what those around Jesus would have thought of him too. A hard, harsh man. By the way, he doesn't deny that in the story. The man himself. And the report of the first two stewards, that they doubled their master's investment, It may have been lauded by many Christians reading this story in capitalist West, but Jesus' first century audience would have felt nothing but disgust. The highest legal interest rate was about 12%. Anything higher was clearly corrupt, unjust, predatory. And I guess given what we've seen of the actions of the super-rich, we might feel similarly. Those who have more money than most of us can even imagine often end up using those resources in irresponsible, if not ruthless, if not downright, downright corrupt ways. So the more we think about it, the less laudable or exemplary the rich man and the first two servants, stewards, are. Could it be that Matthew is instead showing us what can happen when a fabulously wealthy man plays with his wealth and with the lives of his slaves? Whoever this super rich man is, he looks rather opposite of the God of Israel the God who had explicitly prohibited lending money at interest and profiteering off the poor, who told harvesters not to harvest their fields thoroughly, but instead to leave the edges of the wheat, leave dropped sheaves behind, not strip the vines or shake the olive trees so that those who have nothing to sow can reap something. How could this be the same God? Here, promoted ruthless business practices and confirming the tale that the rich will only get richer, while the poor, well, that's their lot. How could this be God, the absentee Lord, who cares only about profit maximization and who barks his orders to his minions so that they can do his dirty work for him? Perhaps this could be the God of our capitalist presumptions, but not the God. Jesus proclaimed elsewhere in the Gospels. And if that's the case, then the third servant, Stuart, is not lazy and unproductive, worthless, according to his master, but one who exposes this unjust, ungodly system. One who refuses to participate in the dirty work of his master. Instead, he buries the money, which is a bit strange, unless we have something like a farming humor going on here. Because when a peasant plants a seed, it can grow with the help of the sun and rain and the soil, but not so with the money. Strangely enough, it produces no fruit. The third slave pays a high price for speaking truth to power. Here, he says, take back what is yours. And if you use such words to your boss, it doesn't end well. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, he's cast to the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And of course, we immediately think, hell. And maybe it is. Only it may be a human-made one. Because the very next story Jesus will tell after this parable in the Gospel of Matthew is one about the sheep and the goats. Remember, the surprising re-evaluation of our lives and what really counted. Turns out we meet Christ not through wheeling and dealing the best we can with what's been given to us, but by feeding the hungry, welcoming the stranger, visiting the imprisoned, not thinking about <laughs> any returns, any profit. All the things that might cost us quite a bit, in fact. But it's there, in places of pain and outer darkness, where the poor and oppressed are banished to, that we may meet Christ himself, it turns out. As with so many of his parables, Jesus is inviting us to see the world differently. Some of his parables are about the kingdom of God, yes. But some of his parables seem to be about the world and what really is going on in it. And I'm convinced we're dealing with one of them here in this passage. Jesus exposing greed for what it is and warning us about the high cost of resisting the systems and speaking truth to power, and refusing to collaborate. All difficult things to do, but all worth it because there's something greater than the current systems of this world, somebody greater than the richest, the most influential, and perhaps the most fearsome and corrupt people who may seem to call the shots at the moment. For those who have eyes to see, God's kingdom is coming, already here, Though not fully yet. And those who seek this kingdom know how the story ends, regardless of who seems to have the upper hand at the moment. Just a few chapters later, the Gospel of Matthew will finish with the words we often call the Great Commission. This is now after he's been raised from the dead and he comes to meet the disciples, some of who are still doubting whether Jesus being alive is just too good to be true. And he tells them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. As you go, he says, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, And then that last sentence, and I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice the contrast. This is not the absentee God, an absentee God who gives talents to the church and says, I'll be back later for reckoning. Jesus, who told the parable we heard today, is one who is not absent, who promised to be with us, to be present with his people now and even to the end of the age. And if that's the case, that's a call to live in ways that are very different from those of the first two stewards in the parable. how about we continue thinking about it through the hymn we're going to sing next? I've chosen an Advent tune for it, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, as a way of preparing us for the coming season of waiting in just two weeks' time, so that we are reminded what kind of a God we are waiting for, so that we don't exemplify the competitiveness and the scarcity mindset of this world but renew our minds and open our hearts to the God of enough. The God whose abundance is revealed every time we generously share of what we have been given. Not for profit, not for a good return, but simply because that is what God's love calls us to do.
2: in preparing for my prayers for others today i definitely saw the parable of the talents different than what later presented so my prayers kind of follow more of that but i do hope that still they will be encouraging to us so let us dear lord we gather together before you thankful to be here thankful to be with others and in your presence Thank you for the blessing of community, of support, encouragement, and sharpening as iron sharpens iron. May this community continue to bless each one of us in the days to come. And as we gather today, Lord, I still feel called to echo the Book of Common Prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry, and we humbly repent. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us, that we may delight yet again in your will and walk in your ways. To the glory of your name. Lord, this prayer and part of today's service reminds me again that For evil to prosper, all it needs is for good people to do nothing, to leave things undone, words unsaid, deeds left alone. As I battle evil currently in my life and as others battle the evil in theirs, help us all to do the good things actively, leaving nothing undone or unsaid that could lift up another person and guide them to being closer to you lord especially with the renewed conflict in the middle east the riots all around the world in support of one or the other and the approach of the winter holidays with thanksgiving happening in america this week help us to consider anew the impact of our actions or our inaction help us to be active in our faith not just passive observers help us to take our metaphorical bag of gold our talents and use them to increase your kingdom but not at the expense of others in that vein, Lord, we pray for BMS World Missions. Appropriately today, they ask us to give thanks for their ongoing partnership with the Association of Baptist Churches in Israel. They give praise and thanks for the new churches that are planted the church and the churches revitalized. They also ask, Lord, for blessings on the Nazareth Evangelical College and the youth and family ministries therein. Lord, I also pray that especially now, these churches are safe havens for everyone and all who come to find, for everyone, and that all who come to them find comfort in the middle of this terrible crisis. We also pray for other members in the Baptist Union of Scotland, in particular, we pray for Springburn Baptist Church here in Glasgow, St. Andrew's Baptist Church, St. Mary's Community Church in Dundee, and for Stuart Murdoch, the chaplain at Strathcraton Hospice. Help all of them to be active in their faith this week to do everything and say all the words you call them to. Lord, as we go out from here, help us to be thankful for what you have given us and help us to glorify you with how we use it. Help us to love one another this week, blessing everyone we come into contact with. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
1: And so we conclude our worship with a song which originally comes from Hungary, although we will not attempt Hungarian. (laughs) We'll stick to English. Um, Some of you will know it. Some hopefully will be able to follow very soon. Jesus Christ, our living Lord, we believe you keep your word. into the world to be witnesses of the way things are to be in God's kingdom. So go. Go carrying with you the peace of Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Whatever God may require, whatever God may send you, go in God's abundant love. Amen. Thank you.